I'm kind of, you know, I just keep continuously adding new stuff to the studio. I definitely want to be doing more stuff in person, like mm-hmm. you're talking about with Fresh and Fit, Patrick Bet David, Stefan mm-hmm. Graham, Graham Stefan. They're all doing, yeah. like, all the big shows are in person. Yes. And, but, but, you know, I've talked to the big the big thing that I see, and you'll probably see this with your channel, um, you know, just social media side, is it depends on your audience mix. As you become Fresh and Fit, Patrick, Bet, David, Graham, Stefan, you need to go with a wider audience. So in those situations, yeah, you need to appeal to a larger audience. And that always needs to be, you know, in my mind, that needs to be your goal. I want all the people. But people don't know this. I've got a twin brother, and he's on YouTube. And I've got 1.73 million subs right now. He's got $225,000. He makes way more money than I do. And people are like, no, no, that can't be true. I said, no, no, I've seen his AdSense. I've seen his product sales. He crushes me. Like he, That's because the audience he, he appeals to. Is- the uh, audience he appeals to has a lot more money than the average person that wants, dreams of owning a vending machine. So the average person like watches my channel. They're 23 years old. They're a, a man. They're currently enrolled in college and they have not a lot of money. And they're watching content to figure out what can I do to make money while I'm in college? What can I do to make money where I'm at in life currently? That's my average person. My, my brother, his average person makes seventy-five dollars to $100,000 uh, per year. Um, they're married. They've got a couple kids. And they're trying to find ways to improve the quality of their life through expensive appliances. And that's his mix. So he, his average person's almost making six figures. My average person's making, you know, $25,000 a year, let's say. So with that audience, you've also got to figure out, you know, if you're doing a podcast, who's my average person? My average person's white collar. Um, they're making $200,000 a year, and they solely listen to me on the road between their house and work. They're not watching me. They're listening to me. They're consuming my content through um, audio only. So they don't care whether it's in person. They don't care whether the person's on a Zoom call or not. Now, as time goes on, you need to figure out how to get more people than just that $200,000 a year person. But I run into people, their whole life cycle, social media is going after that niche and just getting deeper, 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 deeper into it. And then they, yeah. they optimize that, that traffic, those subscribers, those people that are interested so severely that they crush people like me. And, you know, like we talked about Ryan Pineda, Fresh and Fit, uh, Patrick Bet David. They are at their absolute top of their games, and they're doing so well. But I run into other guys that are in the half million sub range-ish, and they decide to go too broad, too quick. And I'm not going to name any names because I, I love, love them. But great people. But they decided to go for the broad range of people too quick because they would say, I'm going to follow the specifically <laughs> – I am going to follow the Patrick Bet Dava playbook. Right. And I'm going to turn my content. I'm going to make it a little more political. I'm going to go a little more right leaning. I'm going to go this, this, and this because Patrick Bet David did it. And it crushed their channels because they were too small. They tried to go for a broad appeal when they were going so well for XYZ community, finance content, podcast. And then they. Well, just- that, and that rings pretty true to me, Brandon. Because I've I've kind of done that, but I kind of like don't care. You know what I'm saying? And and if and if that is if that's what you want to do, then more power to you. I had a I'll give you a perfect example. I was I started making YouTube videos about five, six years ago. And 
I, you know, most of my YouTube videos not getting a ton of views. And then I made this video. It was about hiring your first virtual assistant. It okay. got 500,000, 600,000 views. Yeah. And to me, that was YouTube saying, hey, Mark, you're the virtual assistant guy. That's what you need to make more content out of. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the virtual assistant guy. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, I'm more interested in... I don't know. I'm, I definitely want to help business owners. I'm on a mission to help business owners mm-hmm. um, or, or people own their own yeah. businesses. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, I, I don't want to be typecast, so to speak. Yeah. And, and I would say you, you don't want to be super typecast, but you also need to understand like who your audience is and how you can connect with them and how you can grow in your connections to people. Because it's like, for me, I don't want to be the laundromat guy. I mean, it's nice. But, but you brought it out. It's not just laundromats. Laund- laundromats, car washes, vending machines, uh, self-storage. Um, it's a lot of different things. And that's because the laundromat, I only got in the laundromats in 2019. I'd been in, I've been in real estate since 2006. So I've done all these other businesses and lots of other businesses that I don't generally talk about because I don't do them anymore. Like, like I'm, you know, Ryan Pineda's got this couch flipping thing. I do, I've, used to do tons of like Gary V garage sale stuff, not content, but just making money, going to garage sale. Eh, let's, let's fix something. You know, I want $5,000 this month. Let's make $5,000 through yard sales. And I used to do that. And it's, it's one of those things where, um, if you can figure out like what you, you know, what has the most value to the internet right now, and then grow off of that, you'll be okay. Because when you're hot, there's a, a small time window and it's for YouTube. I don't know what it is now, but it used to be like for three weeks. If you have a viral video for three weeks, you can do no wrong. And it's like, I don't care. You do a virtual assistant video. You can do a food blog within three weeks and it's probably not going hmm. to do. It's not going to kill you short form content right now on TikTok. You can do anything you want to. It doesn't have to be related. It'll still go well. Just, you can throw anything against the wall. YouTube, after about three weeks from what I've seen, if your follow-up videos don't re-engage your base, you'll get crushed. Um, well, that's kind of, and that's kind of what I've been doing is short form videos. I, I've been really focused on AI and automation yeah. for, for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. but it's almost becoming too diluted. When I first started making those chat GPT videos, there was almost no competition. Yeah. And now all of a sudden everyone's making chat GPT yeah. videos. But, and- but quite frankly, I don't care because once I started using AI in my business, I quit my day job yeah. four months later. I've yeah. like, I've seen the power. I've seen the yeah. impact. And, and, and then it's one of those things where, from my standpoint, when I talk to people about automation and ChatGPT and just general, like either gen- talking about general AI topics or niche specific AI topics, I find that they're really, really surface level and they haven't started talking right. about the bigger implications. Because it's like, you know, uh, when when I uh, did your Google form to sign up for this, it's like, what what's one AI topic that you can talk about? I'm like, I'll just talk about blue collar AI implementations inside blue collar businesses. Because... All of the people that I see talking about ChatGPT, it's very surface level. And, you know, to be frank with you, a lot of it's just regurgitated content they watch from somebody else. They probably had ChatGPT rewrite it and they're throwing it on because, and no offense to anybody, but a lot of the people that I run into are just talking heads on social media. Yeah. They don't actually have any experience with whatever it is they're talking about. They're not practitioners. They're no. not executing. No. They're not actually doing the no. thing. And, and it's, you know, I'm not call, I will never call anybody out because I like people on a, a, in a general sense way too much. But I run into people and I have these conversations either in the finance world, the real estate world. And I'm like, 
they're talking in their videos about, oh, let's go in and replace this wall. And I'm like, you've never tore out a wall in your life. Like, have you, how much, you know, drywall dust have you actually had on your body? And you're telling people, let's just go, we're going to knock this wall down and we're going to replace it with X, Y, Z. And we're going to make X amount of dollars on like, you don't know what's behind that wall. But, you know, so <laughs> don't disagree. You, okay. But I think it, it depends on the way you present yourself and present your experience, right? Are you the expert or are you documenting the journey? Which I think is probably yeah. one of the reasons why you've been successful with the Investment Joy channel. Yeah. It says you started this, what, 2013, 2012? Um, I, bought, I bought the domain back in 2013 because it was nice and highly brandable. Sure. And I started documenting my rental properties. And no one really cared. I had a blog in 2013 and it was like, okay, I, I, you know, I was, I was on bigger pockets all the time talking on the forums about, Hey, this is what I do in real estate. I've got this blog. No one really cared. Then, um, 2017 started the YouTube channel. Um, so you'd uh, already were kind of established at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, from 2017 to 2019, I had 2000 subscribers. And I was posting up content pretty 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 regularly, but it was awful, number one. And I really wasn't looking at building social media as a business. I was like, I had this long-term goal or this goal of, I mean, if I could make 100 bucks a day off social media, that'd be cool. I'd make $3,000 a month, 36000 a year. I'd be happy with a side hustle, makes 100 bucks a month. Then I put all this effort in, just establishing myself and try to figure out what does YouTube want. And it was good thumbnails, um, high retention rates, decent audience engagement. And I mean, that was what I was trying to do in 2019. It's still what you have to do today. And it was like, okay, if I can iterate a little better every video, watch my metrics, improve, then I'll be okay. And I think within a year, year and a half, I can get to $100 a day. Then in October 2019, I released one, uh, I had a video go viral and it made me $27,000 in 15 days. Which video is that? Um, oh, yeah. I bought a laundromat. Here's how much it makes. Ah, I, um, I released that one July 2019. Did nothing. Then um, there, at that point, you had to be monetized to be considered to, for, for, viral, for virality. Like it was impossible to hit the trending page or browse page in general. It's not the true anymore, but you had to be monetized. And it was like I hit them. I finally got monetized after all this work. And within a week, that video that I had released forever, you know, in July, went viral. And it made $27,000 between, I think it was October the 10th and the end of October 2019. And I was like, I just did one year worth of my revenue goal in Crazy. 20 days. So I don't know if your wife had the same experience that my wife had. Because when I first started making all these YouTube videos, my wife was like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. I don't yep. get it. She's a lifelong employee. And I'm sure your wife was probably like, Brandon, what the heck are you doing over here? Making all these videos. But when you bring home a $27,000 paycheck, I bet that changed the tone just a little bit. She didn't care. She didn't care. She didn't care. I mean, because it was, it was $27,000 for me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a new business I've started. And I reached my one year goal. I set out all this stuff is April, 2019. Like that's when I said, I need to build a spreadsheet and I need to be on track with a 2% per week increase across the board, 2% increase in subscribers, 2% in views, 2% in everything. If I could do 2% per week, just based on the law of compounding averages, I can be where I want to, that $100 a day within a year and a half. And, um, you know, I had I, I told my wife before, oh, I sold a property, we made $50,000 off of it. You know, the first one or two, that was cool. But then it's like, okay, you made $27,000 off YouTube video, who cares? And for her, it was just like, she never, the reality is she never sees the money. 
because all of my money just gets reinvested anyway. We live very frugally. So the money doesn't the money isn't really important. It's what can that $27,000 do? I can buy cameras, I can buy a studio studio equipment, I can buy a new computer, I can, you know, that money was gone within 3 months. You're buying assets. I'm buying more yeah, more assets, more things to invest in it in the business. So for her it wasn't really changing and even then it, it, it she, she's starting to come around and like it because it's the reason I'm in Florida today is because <laughs> we wanted to do a cruise, get out of Ohio. And I said, well, we can do cruises when it's cold in Ohio because I will, I'll go do some filming. I'll write some of it off my taxes. And so, you know, it would be a nice business expense and I can meet my contacts in Florida. Um, yesterday I went and uh, looked at a guy making uh, tables in West Palm beach and it was really cool. And we're trying to figure out, is there a video here? And I think there is. So I'm, I'm de- being productive down here in Florida. I think a little more so than I would be in Ohio. So for that, she's getting excited, but it's like, you know, when I, uh, someone will come up to me and say, Oh, I watch your videos on TikTok. Oh, I watch your videos on YouTube. We were on the, um, the ship. And someone came to me and said, you're the reason I bought a claw machine. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is so cool. I, I, you know, I get the butterflies in my stomach. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Someone, I, I, I helped somebody. And that's really all I ever want to do in life is just help people. The money is whatever it is. The money's hopefully a vehicle to help more people and improve the life of people I'm around. If it, some, some, some of the money is able to be spent on my family, great, because they're the people I'm around the most. But I really want, at the end of the day, I'll die. And um, some, I want people to say, you know, Brandon helped me. There's well, a guy that changed me. I, I, and and I, I, I totally agree with that because it's very easy to get caught up in the goal when it's really just like, how do I enjoy what I'm doing every day? Like when I was 20 years old, I was like, that's it. Best days are behind me. Like, yeah. all, you know, but I just turned, I turned 40 last year. This is my favorite year. Favorite year. It was so fun because I get to wake up doing what I love every day. Which, by the way, which is one of the reasons why I didn't just record VA videos for YouTube all the time, right? Yeah. I knew I wanted to create content. And when YouTube's like, hey, you're the VA guy, I was like, nah, I don't think that I would enjoy that. I want to document the journey. I want to talk, I want to talk to people that are crushing in the business like yourself. That's that's what drives me. That's what gets me out of bed. Now AI, holy cow, AI just blows my mind every day. Yeah. AI is one of those things where it is absolutely as transformational as, in my mind, as the transistor as in the personal computer, as in the internet, as in um, mobile mobile phones and uh, mobile technology. To me, it's, it's above, it's probably right in there with the personal computer because it's the implementation. It is the, I, I remember when Google came out and that was like the greatest moment like of me with technology because now I have something that I can ask and 70% of the time, it's going to give me an answer. That's right. And I was like, this is life-changing for me. Because Crazy. now I can get answers. As a kid, you know, I got in trouble tearing apart CB radios that my dad would bring back from uh, driving truck and stuff. And I always wanted to figure out how things worked. But I, could, I had such a hard time getting an answer. It was, let's go to the library two weeks from now. We lived on a farm. Let's go to the library two weeks from now. Maybe I can get a book on uh, microelectronics. Maybe I can get a book on programming. And... You know, uh, it became one of those things with Google of, well, I need to, I'm just going to ask a question. Can I find a um, Ohm's Law calculator? I need um, some conversions. I need to figure out how to uh, calculate capacitance on a capacitor. It's just like these really finite technical questions. It's like, I can't, 
I would have to read through two or three books or go to school. Now Google's at my fingertips. And now, um, and well, at my fingertips in front of a computer in front connected to the internet. Now it's on my phone. And with AI, like one of the things that I was talking to somebody, I was, I've got some microcontrollers at my office at the, the, the Investment Joy studio. And I was like, I really need to, um, I want a, a couple signs at my office that say on-air recording subscribers. And I want to automate that. But I also, I know I can buy that off Amazon. I want to build it. But it's like I have to program it, and then one of my one of my subscribers said, "Well, just have Chat GPT code it for you." And I said, "What do you mean by?" It? And they're like, you know, Chat GPT can do and uh, Chat GPT can do everything. I said, "Yeah, I know it can do everything." They said it's better at coding than it is um, deep language, and I said, "I don't think that's true." And they said, "Go ask it, Chat GPT. Please write a um, please write the software for an ESP thirty two to display a message that I can download in a text file to the, the device over Bluetooth. And it's like 35 seconds later, it has written the actual code to download to the SP32 with instructions on how me to, to do that, of go find a USB cord, plug it into your computer, download this program, download it to your, th- to your device and do it. I'm like, this is life-changing. Crazy. This is crazy. And I mentioned this to my business partner, um, specifically my car wash guy, and I said, did you know this? And he said, yeah, because we're using it at a nuclear facility right now. And um, they've got a close. Now, for national security people, it's a closed environment, very closed environment at this nuclear facility. But it's the idea is can you give the average worker that sits there in a, an excavator or a, a bucket truck or whatever, something at this nuclear facility, if you gave him the ability within ChatGPT to say, I would kill right now for a device that sits on the outside of my, um, my, my truck that would tell me the soil moisture. I need to know how wet the water is or how wet the soil is, so that when I am picking up dirt, I know exactly how many loads that I can put in the semi so that it doesn't get overloaded. Because if mm. it's over 40,000 pounds, we're going to get fined by the state of Ohio. But if I could have something that could just test the soil moisture, I, I, that would, that, I would be so much more productive as a worker for this nuclear facility. So in a closed-loop environment, you could potentially have ChatGPT write the code for a little Raspberry Pi or some other kind of microcontroller that could test the soil, um, soil mo- moisture. And like I was talking to a guy yesterday, um, I was doing a, a consulting call. Uh, I, I offered a guy a free, free consulting call and I need to record them because they, some of these people make me angry because he was telling me how he had hired a company to write a software program for this startup he wants to do. And they're only going to charge him a hundred thousand dollars to do it. And he was at, ultimately he's asking me for, to fund a $6 million business and he said, yeah, we've got this so- software company and um, they're going to do this software development for us for $100,000. We've already allocated money for it. And I said, in, you've, you haven't even tried asking ChatGPT or any other organization to make this code for you because I'm telling you it's $5,000 on a couple hours worth of work. Wow. On your end. Wow. You didn't even do anything here. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And he became really defensive. And I said, this, this is obviously why I would never invest in your company because you didn't even put the effort in to figure out, is this quote for a $100,000 piece of software inside your business to do X, Y, Z? You know, I don't want to 
nail this guy down too much on what business he's in. You didn't even ask. Because I'm telling you, you could, this is a simple, easy automation. Well, he's living in, like two or three years in the past. Like over the last 18 months, everything has changed. Yeah. And, well, I, I agree. But it's also, I, I feel like if you're really on your game, you're going to know about it. It's like my, my buddy that I had the conversation with about chat GPT at the nuclear facility. He's like, we've been doing it for six months. I'm like, why wouldn't we? Wow. This is life-changing technology. It's going to make our, our company more efficient. It's going to save tax dollars. It's going to save labor costs. Automations inside this business are going to change our world. Why won't we be doing this? And it's like they're on a billion dollar, $2 billion Department of Energy contract that my buddy's involved in. And I'm like, you mean the government's actually trying to save me money by using chat GPT? Of course we are. Like, we have to be on budget and under time, otherwise I'm going to lose my job. And my boss is going to lose his job. And my boss's boss, like, he has the company tree, he told me, at his nuclear facility. And President Biden is only, like, five steps ahead of him. Because it's Biden, the head of the um, Department of Energy, and it's like, it's his boss under that. Or wow. it's his boss's boss. So he's not very far from that. And he's like, we're all going to get fired on the next administration. Or we're going we're gonna to lose our jobs if we don't ma- ma- maintain being on time and on budget in this environment of inflation. And chat GPT and artificial intelligence is going to help us get there. And we're going to do that through writing code for Raspberry Pis and ESP controllers. I love that they're actually doing that too because... When I think of government, I just think of a place where money goes to get burned. They like huge bureaucracies, administrative states, wasting it's, money. When I think that they're actually innovating in using the AI, I, I actually, I actually appreciate that. Some people are. Um, it's like you know, I don't want to get too political, but I'll get political for a second. Like I talk to all these people, and I, I like them, and they're from Europe, and they talk to me about my terrible American healthcare, and that's a tangent I can go on because um, my dad was in the VA healthcare system and he ultimately passed away from a very treatable form of cancer simply due to government bureaucracy. And I talked to these people and they're like, oh, you need to reform your healthcare. You need to do this. You need to do this. I said, you know, 50 to 60% of American tax, American money when it comes to healthcare is essentially spent on, on administration that um, artificial intelligence will handle within 10 years. Yeah. And they said, what do you mean? I said, have you ever considered what w- our country would look like if the cost of health care like that was was reduced by 60%? And I said, it's kind of scary, but go ask, go ask your average doctor, nurse, or anybody in the medical field, how much time do you spend on paperwork? And they'll they'll and if they're honest with themselves, they spend more time on doing paperwork and compliance issues than they do actually treating people. Mm. And if your person and the person you talk to says, well, no, I spend all my time actually treating people. Um, they they are not willing to admit that other people work for them. I, I have friends, great guy, great one of the greatest eye doctors in Southern Ohio. And he's a business owner. He owned a, a, a private practice, but he was associated with a very large medical facility. And he said, Brandon, I'm an eye doctor, one of the best in Southern Ohio. And I'm like, yeah, you are. Everybody tells me you're the best eye doctor. And he said, Brandon, in my office, I have five people doing nothing but paperwork. Right. And he said, right. I, and he, he's like, I hate it. He said, I'm glad I, I'm glad they have jobs. They don't do anything that's productive 
other than call patients. The rest of it's insurance bureaucracy with private health care or it's insurance bureaucracy dealing with Medicare and Medicaid. Well, so that's the other problem here is AI starts to take over more of those jobs. I don't need five people in my office. I need maybe one. Correct. What, what happens with other four people? It, Where do they go then? Well, that that's that. I don't want to do, be too political, but um, that's going to be, I think, the biggest shock to people. And that's going to be the biggest problem. Because uh, a lot of people are going to find in the, in twenty years, let's say, they're not going to have jobs anymore. Bro, five years. Well, I, I'm I think it's going to go fast. Even you talk I, about yeah. your buddy, like when he when he listens to you yeah. and he says, "Okay, maybe Brandon's right. Maybe I will use a VA in Bangladesh to write the code using Chat GPT," yeah. and he saves ninety five thousand dollars. You'd be like, "Whoa." And then he's going to tell someone, they're going to tell someone. And all of a sudden, you're not going to need coders anymore. All those people who are saying learn to code are yeah. going to be like um, learn to yeah. plumb. Learn to plumb. I, I, there's certain things that AI I don't think will ever be able to outsource. It's going to be a lot of blue-collar stuff right? that has to be hands-on. Plumbers, electrician, concrete workers, excavators. And the demand right now, this very second, for those kinds of, of jobs is absolutely huge. Um, I, um, in the current, I'm currently buying a firm and they are in the blue collar world and they are making million, like net operating income millions of dollars. Um, I'll t- I can talk more about it all fair if you're interested, but they're blue collars and blue collar business. And me and my business partner that are acquiring it, we went and looked and said, where is the limitation? And the current limitation in this company is the owner doesn't want to hire anybody. He's in his mid-60s. He's just ready to retire, doesn't want to grow the labor force. And we ask him, what's, a, what's, what's preventing the labor force? Well, I can't, it's hard for me to contact people to come work for me. It's like, okay, well, I'll fix that within 24 hours. I'll just do one TikTok story of, hey, if you're in the Chicago area and you want to make $80 an hour, come work for me. That's all I'm going to say. All I have to say, I'm, I'm telling you, that video <laughs> will get everybody in Chicago will will send me a DM. Power of media. To work. Power 80, media. 80 bucks an hour. I mean, 80 bucks an hour in total compensation per hour in this company. And it's just like they have more business than what they want to do. They're on a two-year wait list. Wow. For, new, for um, jobs. Wow. And it's because he can't. He can't scale the business because he doesn't want to hire people. He doesn't want to hire people because it takes effort. He, he feels like it takes effort to recruit it. He doesn't have social media or any media. He doesn't have doesn't want to hire a recruiter. So um, those kinds of businesses, I think, are going to be AI resistant. They're not going to be AI proof, but they're going to be AI resistant. Um, some of like the proposals that I've seen that I think are better. Um, there's a guy. His name's Andrew Yang. Um, he's not, not certainly aligned with me on a lot of political things, but the thing that he floated that I'm like. Get it? It was just having attacks on general AI. Once we reach general AI, everything that works on an API has to pay a ten or twenty percent tax mm. on AI usage, and then that essentially goes back into a social security bucket. Or a, you know, I, I hate the idea in a general sense of universal basic income. Yeah, I I really but, dislike it because I feel like it sets up a bad incentive structure. Like we need incentives as correct. human beings, right? There's a yeah. reason why I'm not eating chocolate every night because I yeah. want to try to be healthy, you know. But yeah. if I, but I will say, out of anyone I've heard talk about UBI, Yang kind of got me thinking. Like, well, maybe that's a, it, a solution. But it it does it does make me nervous because humans we need incentive structures. If I yeah. give if I told my kids. 
if my kids don't have a good incentive structure, they're just going to watch TV all day. Correct. And and I would love to have a conversation. So, God, for some reason, you're watching. I'd love to talk to you. But I, it's like one of those things where I'd love to talk to somebody about my experience of being a low-income landlord. Because I have a lot of tenants that are on a universal basic income called SSID. No offense, guys, but it's like you can hire a lawyer and they'll get you on Social Security for the rest of your life. Like, it's not that expensive. And for the rest of your life, you will not have to work because you're disabled. Well, isn't there a problem, too? Like, because you, you're going to be capped at a certain amount of income doing that. But Correct. if you go out and get a job, then all of a sudden you you lose that, you, that funding. You, you lose it, which I think is one of the worst things that we have. But it's, and once again, it's not so much a problem that the government has created this monster. They've created a monster that no one understands. My mom is retired. She's on Social Security, not SSID, but regular Social Security. And she's like, I can't have a job. I can't work. I can't make any more money. I am stuck making, you know, $1,350 per month. And my brother and I help her financially. Um, we help her with bills and all this different stuff. And I looked at one of her Social Security statements. I said, Mom, have you ever read this? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, you've read this. Do you understand what it says? No, I don't understand. I said, Mom, this says that you can make in one year $25,000 on top of your SSI before the government starts clawing it back. For every dollar over $25,000, for every dollar you make, they'll take 25 or 30, 25 to 50 cents of benefits away. So you can th make $40,000. You can make up to $40,000 before you lose Social Security. You could, and, and then you regularly tax. I said, well, that's not too bad, $40,000 a year. It's almost like a full-time teacher income. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I had this conversation and she said, I had no clue I could do this. And I said, I started going down this rabbit hole researching it and I found out that's kind of the norm. But then that the problem here is it gives it, your goal, your incentive is to reach mediocrity. Correct. It's not to exceed. And that's the thing that I worry about general, like general artificial intelligence. It's going to come whether I like it or not. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, as a father with five kids who cares about people, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out and helping my kids, like, what do we do? This 10, this 10, next 10 to 20 years is going to be rocking our world. It's going to be one of the most interesting periods of human history. The 20th century, I love history. Like, I love 20th century history. 20th century history was wild. 21st century history is going to be as wild, if not more wild. We started off the 20th AI. century without cars. Correct. My, um, one of the stories I love is my great, great grandpa, um, had a very close relationship with my dad. They loved each other. And my great-great-grandpa said, you know, when I was born, the fastest thing I've ever, I had ever seen was a, a, not a racehorse, but a somewhat fast horse, because they were, grew up in the hills of southern Ohio. He said, I've seen some fast horses. And he said, I have now, because he lived through 1969, he said, I've seen a man land on the moon. And he said, if I have seen that change in my lifetime, there's nothing that you shouldn't expect in your lifetime to my dad. We can't even predict. I don't, I don't it, think it's, impo it's, it's impossible. It, to and he, that's what he said. He said, I just don't understand this. He said, I remember picking up the newspaper, hearing that someone here in Ohio had flown an airplane that had never taken place in human history. They had, they had hot air balloons. And here, you know, the Wright brothers had been the airplane. Um, his, um, my great, great grandfather got shipped over to, um, France in world war one. He was in world war one. Mm. And he said, we saw, he said, I saw a paper report of the Wright brothers taking off 
in this airplane that flew like 20 miles an hour. That, that, that was slow as molasses. And he said, I saw fighter battles between the Germans and French overhead. Hundreds of airplanes engage each other in life and death struggles. Flying 100 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour in some of those biplanes. And he said, then I started seeing movies of World War II with monoplane fighters going 300 miles an hour, 400 miles an hour. Then I saw them break the sound barrier. I saw them build nuclear bombs. I saw them put a man on and in space. Now we've put a man on the moon. He's like, Nothing, nothing's impossible. And, you know, my dad always told me, I have this expectation, you know, of seeing these things. And he saw some of the things. And I know he was scared to death of artificial intelligence and the idea of, you know, Terminators and things like that. And it's like, now I'm, I'm you know, 38 years old, and I'm seeing these things of, oh, there's blessings here and curses. We just got to figure out how to navigate it right. And I'm hopeful. I, I, I can't wait to see what happens when they, they fix administrator issues. We had a conversation about... Um, We've had a, a conversation about some school districts, and I'm excited to see what happens when teachers and school administration spend less time on administrating and more time on teaching. I think they can do it. I think that there's a huge incentive and desire to teach and help kids more, but a lot of it is spent in poor communications or difficulty in communications. A lot of time is spent on just stuff that does, we shouldn't be doing. And it's okay that we, we're doing it. but Well, and I think that's where this becomes interesting because AI presents all these new potential solutions to historical problems. You, you bring up teaching, for example. Mm-hmm. I've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. I think about this a lot. Not every kid learns the same. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you stick 25, 30 kids in a room and you say, hey, we're going to read off the whiteboard for an hour and a half – you're going to lose 75% of the class. But if you can engage them with a robot or with AI or different programs. Whatever it is. And it's like, um, I homeschool my kids. And and I love talking to my kids about science, math, uh, STEM stuff. My wife, she's passionate about English. So we have a lot of conflicts because she's... We were both homeschooled growing up, but her mom was a um, English teacher at a college. And my... my, my, um, my language skills are mostly from um, former uh, Kentucky hillbillies. So we have a lot of conflicts. And um, it's one of those things where she was going over math with the kids, and she's like, here's one of these stupid common core books. She's like, this is disgusting and awful and evil. I said, honey, I understand it. She said, what do you mean? No one understands this stuff. I said, honey, I understand it. I said, because that stuff you hate is exactly how my brain's wired. When they're talking about... And moving invisible numbers from the left to the right and round up and then reduce it afterwards. That's exactly how my brain works. Interesting. And she said, no, it doesn't. I said, yes, it does. I said, this is explaining exactly. I've never been able to put it into words how my brain works when it comes to trying to do math in my head. It isn't the way that you do it. And it's not the way that um, our girls do it. My son does it the same way. And I look and I talk to these different people in education, in the homeschooling community, in um, public school community. I'm friends with uh, private school. Like we got a really great Christian school and I'm friends with several of the teachers. And they're like, I hate this. I love this. And I have this thing. I said, here's the problem is from the data that I've seen, 70% of kids in schools are good at learning the way, learning math, let's say, the way that we did 10 to 15 years ago. And there's another 35-ish, 30, 35%-ish over here in the other thing, in the other side that the common core math works great for because their brains are wired different and they don't understand it. And it's like, so how, how realistically would you have a teacher 
in a classroom teaching 70% of the kids one type of math, 35, 30% of kids another kind of math, and making sure that everybody gets a, um, an education that's tailored to how their brain works so that at the end of the day, they get the best kind of education that's going to actually stick with them. I don't know how you do it other than artificial intelligence. Well, yeah, cool. the artificial intelligence learns can 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 assess all the previous behaviors. And China, by the way, is going all in on this. I I saw this video where they've got all these elementary school kids. Mm-hmm. Their cameras on them twenty all, the entire time, so they know when you yawn. They know when you look at your phone. They know when you're looking at the pretty girl in the corner. Also, they have like a brainwave scanner, That's so crazy. they can see how engaged you are. So, like, That's- they're going all in. Like, you know, China is going to be mopping it's, the floor with us when it comes to education. It's going to be really interesting over the next 20 to 30 years because I'm friends with a lot of people in China and I, I see innovation and I'm like, oh, this is too cool. Oh, there's so many things there. And then I look at uh, the potential for government overreach and then I also get a little terrified. Potential? But, yeah, but, I mean, and yeah. that's the advantage of well, the government overreach. You could say, actually, you're our human test guinea pig. Yeah. You'll be, we're going to, oh, we want to build a roadway here. Your house is gone, you know, so if, if the government have one kid, if the government's good, it could be great. If the government's terrible, it could, it's pure monstrosity of evil. And it's like, there's, you know, there's benefits to both. And you know, a lot of people won't say, Oh no, you know, there's no, there's no benefit in society whatsoever to have a, a dictatorial regime. It's like, I disagree with you. There's some benefits. If there weren't benefits then people wouldn't stand for it. But if people feel there's benefits, then they'll either they'll be okay with it or they'll support it. And it's one of those things where I'm hoping that what will happen is we end up with a, a space race in the realm of artificial intelligence. I feel like at some point, or we're there now, or we'll be in the next year or two, is it'll be China on one side, the United States on the other, with two very different... Um, we are there now, but it, it to me it's kind of terrifying. You know, I, we look at... We're getting a little bit off the entrepreneurial topic here, but I think... This is important in understanding the context of the world we live in and the solutions that are going to need sure. to be invented. Because if you're trying to, I think, if we're trying to solve problems from 10, 15, 20 years ago, that's not, you know, what are the new problems? That's where you're going to come up with your million dollar idea. It's what are the new problems that I can solve now? But what, what, what terrifies me is when people think of war, we think World War II, trench warfare, storming the beach of Normandy, uh, nuclear bombs, things like that. But the future warfare is going to be, we're going to, our AI programming is much more sophisticated we're going to hack your power grid and we're going to shut off the lights for x amount of time it's worse than that it's so worse than worse. how could it's it be so much, much worse? you turn off if you turn right. off the power the internet people are going to be eating themselves within 24 hours well that'll be it too but then you can ask a artificial intelligence to design me a drone that can be 3d printed that just finds people and kills them there's a black mirror episode about that but they didn't have AI 3D print the drones. Well, this is what's happening in yeah, Ukraine it's, it's right now. Drone Ukraine warfare. Right boom, now. boom, yeah. boom. Dropping yeah, bombs. I, I watch way too many videos of their FPV drones hunting down Russians. And but that's, that's like the Terminator 2 stuff where the no, robots are making is. robots and making explosives Correct. and then sending them out. Correct. And that's where it is now. And you're seeing it between Russia and Ukraine, which are both, whether anybody wants to remember it. Like Russia is not very industrialized compared to the United States, Western Europe and especially China. You know, China's GDP is 10 times larger than Russia. So my biggest worry ever would see somebody like um, China or the United States go all in, in, on AI for warfare, which was essentially the heart of Terminator, which I love Terminator. Um, that was the heart of that movie is, hey, we put AI in charge of everything, and it just decided to kill us. And 
that's a fear. It should be a fear. It should be a concern. But it, we should also be able to look at what happens when every dollar of taxpayer money is multiplied by three due to AI for education. You know, education funding is a huge concern um, and, you know, huge political fight of we spend too much money on education. We don't spend enough money on education. Our teachers are ineffective. There's too many bullies in school. What happens when the effectiveness of every teacher and the effectiveness of every dollar spent on the education world is multiplied by three, three times within five years? What happens? I don't know what that looks like, but it sounds really cool. What as, long, as long as the money is like you, to your point is actually used efficiently, you know, well, which is which is my fear is they just hire a bunch of, you know, but a bunch of money money is going to you know I, to teachers unions. Yeah. Money is not it, you know keep you know, kids can't go to school. It's too dangerous. You know, like I want my kid to be learning. You know, going to school, learning step. My daughter's going to coding today. We use Chat GPT cool. regularly. That's awesome. You know, and it's it. That's I think that's I think there needs I, to be personal responsibility yeah. on the case of the I, parents I, I, too I think, to make sure it's happening. I think so, but I also look at um, my relationships with private schools in Ohio, and I look at them, and they will do anything that they can. They will use any tool they can get to provide a better experience. And I like my private schools around me. They, are, I mean, if I wasn't homeschooling my kids, I would totally send my kids to the local private school. And I look at how they are very aggressive. They had a STEM program before. My local public schools do. Wow. Did. Um, they do, my, my local public schools have STEM and they do coding camps and things like that now, but the private school was doing them three years before the public schools were. And I look at the private schools and I say, well, they can, they, they, they'll have, they have access to the exact same tools, exact same tools as the public schools. So if public schools are three times more efficient due to AI, there's no reason the private school can't. And then in that world, you will have some level of competition like you do now. But I just look at whether it's healthcare, education, whatever it is, AI is going to make everything so much more efficient so long as people keep innovating, which I don't see why we won't. It's going to bring about just all these changes. And like, you had your list. What do you want me to talk about? I, I And, you know, my center point of what I'm doing now is using or moving to a position where I can use AI in these old blue collar businesses to amplify the earnings. Let's take your average laundromat in the United States because everybody watches me for laundromats. Makes $125,000 per year in top line revenue, gross revenue. The average profit margin's 45%. And if I can remember my math right, that's $57,500 a year in... Um, Pre-tax income. Pre-tax income, NOI. So are there ways to improve both top line and bottom line income inside a laundromat through AI? And the answer is absolutely 1,000%. How do you do it? How don't you do it? Everybody talks to me about the fact, oh, I want to own a laundromat because it's automated. And it's like, kind of. It doesn't but seem automated to me. It isn't. It isn't. Um, and people get, I've, I've sadly helped people get laundromats and then walked them through, almost physically took them by the hand. Here's how we will get you a laundromat. And then at the end of the day, they're like, well, I didn't want to do any work. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, you need to do work. You need to co-collect the money. I've literally, it's not with the people that I've helped, but uh, it's not with any of my students, but it's with my students encountering people they don't want to go collect the money. It's too much work for them to go to a laundromat and go and pick up $5,000 in cash. Well, I want to automate it. Like, 
You don't have 30 minutes to go collect your money because it's jamming up the machines because they're overflowing dollar bills. The bill stacker's too big. I don't want to do it. And it's like, no, okay. That's the last thing that you should automate, first off. But then you do need to have somebody in charge to make sure that everything's running efficiently. And they, they think it's all about collecting quarters and it's not about making the right hires. But now in laundromats, those hires, some of them can be outsourced. For instance, like we go back to my example of $125,000 for the average laundromat. What keeps it from the average laundromat at 50% uh, median in the middle? What keeps the average median laundromat from being in the top 20%? The top 20% is doing about half a million a year. So, and you think, oh, it must be bigger. It must have better comp. Not really. The better, the, the, the top 20% laundromats care about their customers and all the stuff it entails. So if you think about a customer-centric business, because um, churches and laundromats are the top two entities in the United States where people spend the most time a week. Churches tend to be number one. Laundromats tend to be number two. If you look at the total hours spent on their average um, person. That's really, reassuring. I would have guessed bars. So it's reassuring no, that churches and churches laundromats. Churches and laundromats. Um, and you look at, it's a very customer-centric business and making your customers happy. Okay, how can I implement inside my business, ChatGPT specifically, even 3.5? How can I use ChatGPT 3.5 to engage my customers and make them happy? Well, first thing I can do is make them feel heard. How can I make a customer feel heard? Well, what I can do is I can post posters all over my facility. Is something wrong? Do you need help? Do you have a problem? Do you have a complaint? Do you have um, a positive review? Text this number. Use this QR code. Let's talk about how to make this the best laundromat in this community. So then they send a text number, text to me, and I have a Zap integration, and I connect it to ChatGPT. And I did just really basic training. You are a laundromat owner, and here are different problems that you can encounter. Here's the answer to these. So we did, we've done some AI training. It was phenomenal on the first iteration very first iteration of go, go, go screw yourself. I just put $5 in the change machine. This effing place is taking my money, you thief. How does chat GPT? I couldn't have wrote a better response than that. Very good I negative message. It responded negative message. Wonderful. Yeah. Extreme negative. Dear sir, um, I'm sorry that you encountered this. It's my absolute goal to give you the best laundromat experience. Send over your address. We'll send you a refund immediately. Um, furthermore, this isn't supposed to happen. So I'm thankful that you, you reached out to us and it wrote this great response. And I thought that would absolutely make my customer feel heard and invaluable. And, um, all these laundromats spend 20, $25 to get a new, new customer in the door. So once you got a customer coming in the door, it costs $25 to go out and get a new one. If not more, some, some locations, some markets it's 50 to hundred dollars to keep them to get a new customer in the door. And here I can use chat GPT for, I don't even know how much that API call, call cost one quarter of a penny. It's not much. That cost will be decreasing too. Yeah, and, and it, sure. it does every day. But, but I am curious, you talked about using Zapier, which is basically a way of automating and, and connecting apps together. Walk me through how you set up that Zapier. Um, Cause this stuff, I love this stuff. Okay. Um, you, we used, um, Twilo. Okay. For, um, to get a phone number. We use their API connected to the Zap because I don't know how to do anything. We use Zap to connect to ChatGPT. 
mm-hmm. and ChatGPT has a model based off of what information I fed it, and then it provides a response because I, I just use Zap because it's easy, and it just provides a response to that back person. In, back, back to Twillow? Twillow, and then it aggregates data to Google Spreadsheets. So uh, I or one of my administrators can log in and see where the tracked responses are and where the problems are, if there's problems. So um, you'll get a notification. That's where you will say, okay, yeah. ChatGPT said we're going to send you a refund. Refund. To- it goes to my um, office person who has the authorization to write a $5 refund. Do you add them to like a uh, like an email campaign after that? Yeah, or um, say, what's your birthday? We'll send you. We're like- working on that now. I got that for my... my- <laughs> It's so silly. I got it for my car washes. I don't have it for my laundromat because the laundromat isn't automated yet. This is one of those other things. Um, For me to um, automate the payment systems at my laundromat today, it's Um, $25,000. I can get that down to about $5,000. Well, how how are you going to do that? Um, What's the goal? uh, Using Raspberry Pis as credit card readers. Um, Credit card readers and that system for laundromats is just exorbitant. Um, we're working with a company now. They're not using Raspberry Pis. They're using something else. But it's um, they'll take us down to seven thousand dollars to automate the laundromat, and I think that I can get it get it down to five thousand dollars because a lot of these firms are like realizing they're going to have their lunch eaten from anybody that has ChatGPT and an Amazon account. They can go build their own credit card readers. They can go out and do all these things, um, and it's going to eat their lunch if they don't. And this, this is, to me, is like the big opportunity over the next 24 months is, yeah. is saying, is, is identifying the good software programs that are competitive and can compete. Yeah. So you don't have to be paying out 3% processing fees, yeah. 5%, pro, it, you know, decreasing those costs is going to be a big deal. It's decreasing the costs, building customer retention, just going in and looking at where the opportunities are to make money. Like it's no secret. If a laundromat has a three-star review on Google, no one that has access to cell phones is going to use a laundromat. Now, if you have five-star reviews or four, 4.2 star reviews and like you've, you've got good aggregated reviews and your customers realize that it's clean, safe, affordable, and you're not going to get screwed on your money. You, your advertising dollars are, are amplified severely. And you can do that through just customer retention automations. And it's like, like where we don't have the integration for the laundromat, we have it for my car wash. And I can go in and see where we've done a customer loyalty program. We, my great example that I pull with my, um, my coaching clients and my, tra- uh, my students is um, last time we had the county fair in Circleville. Um, it, gets so, it generates so much dust. The town feels like it's covered. And we did this DM text campaign and we said, we know your car's filthy from the fair. I said, if you're, you know, it was a, this real funny post. We took a picture of a car and we wrote, well, well, it was my van that's sitting out there right now. We wrote, wash me on the back, the back um, windshield. So wash me. If your car looks like this from the fair, come on down to Royal Car Wash. Use code um, 1986 for um, a free 20% off. And we tracked the sales and that one post was worth five thousand dollars wow that one send out to our, our customers was worth five grand because we tracked five thousand dollars in coupon redemptions or five thousand dollars worth of sales were tied to that code so you know it was ten percent off um we had you know eight hundred dollars worth of redemptions um no we would have had five hundred dollars worth of redemptions for the 10 if it's ten percent off it would have been two thousand a thousand dollars worth of redemptions if it was five thousand but it's five we made five grand off of it. And it was just like, this so 
easy to do. And if I was on my car wash game as much as I should be, we'd be doing those promotions every other week. We're not. Um, Because I'm doing so many other things right now. Sure, Um, but I mean, just the idea of like, scan this QR code, leave us your review, that automates. Are you using ChatGPT and in any more of these Zapier automations in your business? Because this is the type of stuff that I think as you start to experiment and figure it out, just changes everything. It, it's the big thing of, I think that people need to build a, a mindset of just asking, like, how could I automate this process? Is it automatable? Like, when it comes to repair staff, can I use ChatGPT to help them be more efficient at their job? Well, they've got to replace a belt on a Dexter 20-pound um, washer. Is there, could they, could we run that through ChatGPT and just ask it real quick? Is there an easier way to make, to, is there an easier way to, replace the belt on this machine quicker it might it might not um one of the better integrations that we ran into was having or um i'm not doing this enough my friend has built a business off of it. he's probably made he probably made a million dollars off of it just last year is using chat gpt to get a material list together for a property rehab chat gpt i you know just just he, he's got a voice to text system too so voice uses i use otter he's not using otter he's using something else I use Otter to transcribe voice to text really mm-hmm. well. And it was, okay, I am, we're in a studio right now. Um, it is the studio where we're recording the podcast. I'm going to guess is 10 feet wide. You've got 12 foot ceilings in here. Do, do you know specifically? I think 12 feet is 12 is foot accurate. ceilings. Okay. 10 foot wide, 12 foot ceilings. You got uh, six inch crown molding at the top. Our length were 14 feet long. I need to replace every wall in this. Please calculate how many sheets of drywall I need, how many screws I need. Tell me how many pounds that is. Can you find me Menard's SKU numbers and prepare an order that I can send to my rep? And it's like, he showed me. It's like, boom, here it is. So how's that a million dollar business? He's Is he like creating a software built off no, of? He is literally asking ChatGPT these questions to uh, make his rehabs faster to where he gets an itemized task list when he walks in to a property in Cincinnati, Ohio of how much is it going to cost me Wow! down to the screws in the wall to replace every wall in the house. How many gallons of paint does it need? How many sheets of drywall do we need? How many um, um, tiles do we need for the vinyl flooring? How many square feet of carpet? How many square feet of padding? Um, how many truckloads is this going to take itemized? And every time he, he's doing this to quickly iterate through on flipping houses in the, the Cincinnati area, and he's making $200,000 a pop. And because he was able to know within one hour walking through a house, rather than getting all these contractor bids, which can be a multi-week mm. deal, it's, it's the ability to work fast. I can get a, a competent, reasonably accurate bid in one day. Well, that's the question is how accurate is it going to be? Because sometimes ChatGPT can make up some it's wonky stuff. You need to. Correct. And I think that's kind of where AI is going to really shine, at least where we're at now, it, is yeah. the expert can see, oh, that number looks off. Yes. Or they can say, okay. Yeah. yeah. So so when I say he, 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 ChatGPT will spit out a result fast, but then he, you send a the bid sheet or whatever to different contractors. And that's where he's shining is he. Uh, Here's a general contractor, Steve. Here is the work list. That's all itemized. Beautiful report that ChatGPT wrote out. What's your bid? 
how much are you going to charge me for labor? Not not materials, because I know exactly what the materials are going to cost. Mm. What's your labor fee going to be? There's exactly 50 outlets that need replaced. Will you replace an outlet for $3? Oh, yeah, I'll replace an outlet for $3. I've had contractors bid $50 per, like, after it's all said and done, charge me $50 to replace one outlet in the house. Wow. And he's like, yeah, because I know exactly. There's 50 outlets. There's two screws. Here's what the screws are going to cost me. ChatGPT's itemized. It should take five minutes to replace an outlet. Unscrew two screws, pull cover off, replace outlet, make sure the breaker's off. That's how you renovate a house, like, super fast. Super fast. Unreal. And so it's like, yeah, uh, we can replace an outlet for $3 in labor. You're providing the, you're providing the uh, outlet cover. You're providing the receptacle. We don't have to replace the wiring. The wiring's good in the house. The assumption is, yes, the wiring's good. If the wiring is not good, then we need to come in and do a rebid. It's like a million dollars last year off that idea of just, let's just see if ChatGPT can do it. And it's not that ChatGPT can do everything, but it automated a very significant process in there. And it's allowed him to bid on properties quicker, get more bids. And it's why it's like, in a nutshell, a million dollar um, idea. Probably pretty close to actually doing the shopping and the purchasing for you too, right. if you if you empower it. Especially, you know, if Amazon, Google, yep. Facebook, you know, they start implementing more AI tools. Yep. You say, hey, this is what I need. It could go and, and kind of be like your shopping assistant. You know, I mean, Amazon's great. If you don't like the product or if you get too many or not enough or it's the wrong, you can always return it. Yeah. And then you're just having AI kind of handle all that. Yes. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer too. There's a lot of money in the real estate world and any world of moving fast because now you can get out the forefront. You can bid quicker than the guy that has more money than you, but is slow. And now you're in the forefront. You got the offer accepted quicker before anybody else because they weren't sure that it, they didn't know exactly what it needed, um, but you got you knew the the list of what needed to be done in it quicker than they, than everybody else did, and it's just one of those things where I run into this stuff, and it's just a wide open field. But we look at you know you look at real estate, and you can automate shopping lists and material lists and things like that. You look at laundromats, and you can automate customer response because your customers are you know, typically lower income, lower educated. They don't have a lot of money to spend. You can automate a lot of the relationship facilitation with them, making them feel like you do care, making them feel like their hands being held during the process and making sure they have a good experience. You cannot get a car wash and automate your promotions and things like that and running, you know, like essentially a mini sales funnel and bringing them in on newsletters and re- customer retention programs. And that's just like, okay, so the, the laundromat industry, $6 billion a year in revenue. The car wash industry is $20 billion a year in revenue. The construction industry is a $2 trillion a year um, industry. I run into people that they're just using all these different automations. And it's like, it, you don't, in my, when my mind thinks about this, you don't have to, you don't have to have, the next $10 million automation. You don't have to have a $10 million tool. You need to figure out how do I improve the value of this thing by X amount of percent. Um, yesterday when I was in West Palm Beach, I ran into a guy. I posted it on my Instagram story. I'm in West Palm Beach. Who wants to get together? And there was a guy. He said, uh, I build tables. And I'm like, ah, that's cool. I want to see how you build. I love people that build things with their hands. I'm like, I will drive to your house and let's see you build these tables in your garage. Well, they're $2,500 tables. Nice. Can we make them $20,000 tables? 
Mm. And it's like, he's like, I don't think we can. I said, yes, we can. We can make a $20,000 table. We can make it worth $20,000. I said, you're building them by hand, right? Yeah. I said, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Does anybody know how much it costs the materials to make them? No. Cool. Let's keep that a secret. <laughs> and let's talk about your craftsmanship and why someone should pay $20,000 for a table. I, don't, I just don't know how it could be worth it. I said, well, if you, we figured out, a, if I, we sat down and did some brainstorming how we can put these in some two, $3 million houses in West Palm Beach and we can get a marketing campaign set up and we can get you a lot of press on these tables you're making. I think we could make, take these from being worth 2,500 to $3,000 up to 20, 25,000. Yeah, we could. So then we had this conversation about, I think for this guy making $20,000 table, $20,000 table is probably the right choice. Mm -hmm. But I said, there's another way to do this. We can, um, you can make, if you're making, you know, if you, let's say you sell them for, let's do easy numbers. Let's say the cost $500 to make and you're selling them for $1,000. You don't think you can do any better. You're making $500 a table. And let's say you want to make $5,000 a month. So you need to sell 10 tables at $500 a month to make $5,000, you know, 10 tables, $500 a piece, $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year. Let's say you want to make $60,000 a year off this business. Well, now we need to figure a way, an easy way to find people to assemble them or some systems and processes to make these very easy. And that's a situation where chat GPT could help you do automations could help you get automated material lists, help you communicate with people that might be interested in building some tables in their backyard for a hundred dollars in profit. I'll guarantee you a um, hundred dollars an hour, just build me one table and it's still handmade. And it's just these, we didn't talk about automation a ton, but I, I look at businesses that there's so many opportunities out there to help build a better workflow or just to be curious and ask questions. Because I run into the problem is a lot of people, as they get older, unfortunately, they get less curious and they stop asking questions. And mm -hmm. that's like my, I've got, my example is my, my, my top YouTube video, my top video ever has 175 million views last day. If memory serves you right. And it's at my laundromat with my nine, who's eight years old at that point, my now nine year old son. And you read through and I aggregate my viewer sentiment. Why did that video do so well with my kid in it? It's because he's cute. He's cute. Kind of. Is it because he's curious and asks his dad questions? Yeah. That's the real reason that it did so well. Because I get all these, I love when your kids are in your videos, Brandon, because they ask the questions I feel too stupid to ask. Like, well, if there's no stupid questions, um, then ask away. And that's where in my own social media business, I'm trying to figure out how do I use our AI to answer more questions because 90% of people have the same questions. Have you made a GPT yet? Your own custom GPT chatbot? I've got a bunch of iterations and we're having, we're having a problem integrating chat GPT with the way that I want it to work. Um, Cause my big goal this year in 2024 is I want to build, it's not a podcast, but I want to build a, a show and we're almost there right now. Um, we're testing out all the bits and pieces when I get back to Ohio where I want to make people feel like they are in the laundromat or in the car wash working with me. I have a lot of people that request, I wish I could just come to Ohio and spend a day with you. I was like, I can do that. 
with social media and automation. So I want people to feel like they're actually there working on a machine with me. They're there talking to the customer. Well, how would you do that? They're going to put on like their VR Oculus or Apple Vision goggles or something. Yeah, and are you going not, there? It's or? not that. It's just a live stream for one full day. Mm. And you have the ability to ask me questions. And then there's a guy with uh, my cameraman has an earpiece. And he says, Brandon, um, Mike from Florida asked you, why, why did you not do X, Y, Z here? And people feel like they're heard, they're seen, that they're getting their questions answered. But then have, I like ultimately, I want to have automations in there when people ask questions that I've already answered. Now that's a cool, I, I, I'm super cool idea. Obviously, I think you could pull that off now, you know. But the, the big question is that, that automation. The problem with the GPTs, the way they're set up now, is if you don't have a pro membership, you can't actually use the GPTs. Not everyone has ChatGPT Pro, although, frankly, it's the, like, the most powerful tool in the history oh, of humanity. It's so, it's so cheap. For what you get, it's so cheap. 20 bucks a month. It's, like it's, it's, Just do it. Just do it. Just You spent, you already paid that for Netflix and Hulu. But the big, the big problem I have is someone who's in marketing, and you know, we want to be accurate, because if you're inaccurate, that's a problem. I see it as a way... I see AI, at least in 2024, my goal is how can I incorporate more automation, more AI to empower team members, to empower 1099WEs, yeah. you know, how do I empower people with, with the tech? Because if you have someone who's smart, can do critical thinking on the back end, they should be able to spot, well, this doesn't look right, or that doesn't feel right, or let me talk yeah. to Mark about it. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where, like, if we're talking about customer facing, and my customers are people who watch my videos, <laughs> I, I like transparency. And it's one of those things where I'm an assistant for Brandon. They don't have to know that it's a, a, a chatbot, but they can know, hey, I'm Brandon's assistant. You posted this comment in the feed on TikTok, and um, I think that this video that Brandon made three weeks ago, one month ago, two years ago, might help you with that question. If it doesn't, let me know. I'll send it, I'll send, I'll send it up the food chain to Brandon and see if it will be more accurate or we can provide you a better video. Then additionally, if it's wrong, then we have some flags on the account and say, oh, because there will be someone, a human watching all the comments. But if ChatGPT can make that one human in Portsmouth, Ohio, more effective reading through the comments, highlighting the great ones that are great questions, I need to answer it. And then the low level questions of that everybody asks um, are just automated. Are you sending you know, these, because you have all this distribution. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious how you're leveraging the attention. Are you sending people into like um, email nurture campaigns and then trying yeah. to customize that with we AI? Are, we are now. Um, AI is helping me. The biggest implementation for me on AI is to make people feel like I'm paying attention to them. Right. And it's, you know, and the reality is because I don't pay attention to them because I don't have a good way to aggregate what needs to be answered. That's my biggest problem. I want, you know, my, like I said early in the podcast, my goal is really to help everybody. But just because I have this desire and intention people, to yeah. help people doesn't mean they get helped. I've, I've heard a lot of people that say, oh, I want to do this with my life. I want to help people. I want to do this, this, and this. And then you meet them 10 years later. They haven't done anything. And it's like they had the intention, they had the desire, they had the idea, but they never implemented it. And I know for me, my problem's always, it's never the ideas. It's the implementation. The execution, yeah. And so if if I can get AI to help me just get the ball farther down the field with the implementation, I'll do everything I want to do in life. I got all these great ideas, but the implementation sucks. But if I can hire, make the right hires and I can get the right people on my team to come in and there's things that we can do with leveraging AI in my conversations with people. You know, there will be days where a piece of content will go viral and I'll have 5,000 comments or DMs. 
And in a situation like that, we we tested. We had an automation go out uh, two weeks ago. If you want to go take a look on, it's on my Facebook. Um, I had one thousand four hundred comments in twenty four hours on one video, or no, one picture, and we were able to directly engage every single person there. How did you hire Gary Vaynerchuk? Because he, he's like, I respond to every comment. Because how could you possibly respond to all those comments? I mean, it's a good there's problem no to have. No, there's no way. There's but you use AI to engage AI. them. We've, we've just built some keywords and said, hey, if they respond with the XYZ sentiment, let's send them this message. I want you to rent, you know, provide a random set. Or make sure each response is unique. And But I want their email address. Yeah, give you want the, that email, yeah. Give me that email. So we generated 1,400 comments that day, and I ended up with 535 um, email submissions. And how are you getting the email submissions? The AI, so you're programming the AI chatbot to say, hey, yes. we want, you know, because if you say our primary goal for the engagement is to answer question and get the email, yes, yeah. they give you the email address, then that goes into your Google Sheet, right? Yeah. And then that can be uploaded to your CRM. My CRM to the nurture campaign. So that's, that's, uh. that's how, that's how it worked. And it worked really, really well. So then what the idea is, you know, a lot of people understand the, the purpose of lead magnets. And what I'm trying to do is create some all encompassing lead magnets and say, Hey, give me your email address. Cause this is the value that I want to provide for you. And the, you know, I think the lead magnets, you know, free courses, free training, free software, free things like that. But then it's also like, well, we'd like you to be on the show. Yeah. And there's no way for me to contact you outside of Facebook, outside of TikTok, outside of YouTube, outside of Instagram, unless I have your email address. That's kind of like Mr. Beast's plan. Like, you know, do you want to get a chance to be on yeah. Mr. Beast's show? We need your email so we can let you know when the spots are open. Because yeah, frankly, I've, in my experience, it's really hard to make a lead magnet work good. But, you know, you sell what you've got. If it's if it's get on a calendar appointment with me, mm-hmm. if it's get a chance to be on Investment Joy, yeah. you, you sell the value that people want. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where if you can do it at scale and you can automate it so that someone, I, I know these people that they make tons of money, but they have 20 VAs in the Philippines answering every single DM, answering um, every single comment with a custom unique, response and i was very close to doing that till we i finally got it to work on my facebook campaign and then it was because i knew someone had done it um i'm not gonna say who because they're my competitor but i saw that they were automating everything and they were doing so much engagement i started asking people like how is how is she doing this and then someone came and said oh here's the the bits and pieces that you have to put together to get the automation to fire correctly with ChatGPT, and I did it, and I did a test post with 1,400 comments and 535 email opt-ins, and it's like, made some money that day. Yeah. Nice. And it's like, okay, so now we've got this point, and let's try to figure out how to scale it. And ultimately, what I want to do is go through all my social media channels, because if we add all that together, it's 6 million followers, and I have over a billion video views now. So now, now that I've got the reach, how do I start to do the same thing <laughs> with my... Customers at the laundromats, no different. How do I start to build deeper relationships with these people How on social media? How do I make them feel like I care? Because it's not that I don't care. I care about my subscribers and viewers and people that I run into so much. It's like Kevin on the cruise ship. Cruise ship Kevin, hope you're watching. You encouraged me to buy a claw machine, and now my wife and I have this side business. <laughs> He's like, I watched that video that you did, and he rattled off. I have no clue what he's talking about. I have 
no idea. What do you watch? I don't know that. I don't think I've ever done a video on a claw machine. I don't think I've ever recommended on TikTok or YouTube that you go out and buy a claw machine. It's not something that I would recommend. She can make money on them. But he, he took some bit of information he implemented, and he's great. The, the thing was, though, he's like, I have one question for you. And I'm like, he's like, I've been dying to ask somebody of your authority this question. Should I quit my day job? Because it sounds like you're telling me I should. Like, what do you do? He's like, I fix, uh, I, I work for an HVAC company. We, do, we fix heating and cooling units. I was like, no, don't do that. He's like, really? I would have thought that some guy on YouTube would have told me to quit my day job. Just go quit your day job because then it's do or die. I'm like, you got a wife and kid. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I don't want you to uproot your family. The scary thing, though, house. is if someone puts that much importance on Brandon's advice, mm-hmm. and then Brandon.ai says, you know what? Yeah, you know, Brandon went all in. You should go all in. It's, and, and so you've, you've got to find that level, correct. which, by the way, I think that AI, the, that engagement is really powerful because people say, oh, well, it's, you lose the authenticity, but I think it helps I, us to be more authentic in a way because it, you it, can. It does because you're telling people you care. Even if, even if you had a chat, a chat GBT implementation and it responded with, I care. Yeah. It would be revolutionary for a lot of people. Well, and at the same time, even if yeah. it doesn't work great, that gives yeah. you the opportunity to make it better because perfection is the enemy yeah. of progress. It is. You, you need to start. It, and I heard Patrick Bed David talk about this the other day. He's like, you hey, in the past, you had to learn about 10 to 15 skills every five, every five years. Now I was like, you got to learn 20 skills in 18 yeah. months because things are, are moving so quick. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like for the implementation side, um, I know somebody with Patrick Bet David's level of authority, and they do. I'm not going to say who it is because they charge for this advice a lot of money too. And they said that more or less, the number one thing, the absolute epitome of, do you want to make money off people? It's respond to them quickly and make sure they feel like they got hurt. And it was like, what do you mean? Like, are you selling um, yachts? Make your customers get the response immediately. Mm. Um, we're buying this company in Chicago. If you're in Chicago and you want to come work for me, let me know. Um, but this company in Chicago, and it's selling a product that is half a million dollars. Like our average product for this company is going to be it's around half a million dollars. It's probably closer to 350 But it's this extravagantly expensive thing we're building. Um, at a company and the for customer acquisition the number one result is speed making your customer feel like they're heard and we talked about it you know are we going to use chat gpt on it absolutely if no one will pick up the phone no one will answer a text then chat gpt has to be has to be there at least put them on ice at least at least do something because if they submit that contact form i hate contact forms if it submits a contact form and they've tried to engage with us some way and they don't have a response within 30 seconds. We have totally failed mm. because they're, they're going to call our competitor and then they're going to call the competitor after that. And they're going to keep calling our enemies, our competitors our, our the people we don't want to make money. We're going to call, they're going to call these other companies till someone picks up the stupid phone till someone responds to that stupid text till somebody responds to that email. And it's like, um, while I'm here in, um, 
Southeast Florida, I'm, I called three separate co-working facilities, or I texted three separate co-working facilities. And there are these STEM companies, come work with us. We're, we're aggressive. We've got an office space for you to rent. None of them responded. Wow. None of them had a, any sort of integration. But you get like a generic email, like we'll get back to you within yeah. 12 we'll get, to 24 yeah. hours. We'll get, you can buy a day pass to our facility. You can come work with, for, with us today, but it's going to be 72 hours to respond to me, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it, you know, when we were, when, we were, when I was scheduling to bring you in, Brandon, I was like, how am I going to spin this into how AI is changing the world and evolving business? You know, you're doing an historically very manual style labor, uh, uh, car washes, laundromats, uh, mobile home parks, vending machines. But the way that you're focusing on using AI to enhance the customer experience, using automation to get it there faster, that that's the game. Yeah. That's the game. Yeah. It, it is on any any company or anything you, where you're selling something. Yeah. And if you expound on that, everybody's selling something. Everybody. If, if you are working at Walmart, you run your own business of selling your time to Walmart Corporation. Hmm. Everybody's selling something. And if you can figure a way to sell your something better then how much of a game changer is that? Especially if you're first. If, especially if you're first. And you know what? I'd hate to be last, but it's okay being in the middle. If, if with this being such a revolutionary technology, and I'm talking about artificial intelligence, I just want to make sure I'm in there doing it. Who cares if you're, you know, first place, it's going to be a trillionaire. Yeah. Telling you, I mean, AI is going to make trillionaires over this, this decade. Yeah. Between now and 2030. It's going to make a lot of billionaires, and it's going to make an obscene level of millionaires, guaranteed. But I, I what, the guy, the, the thing I, the story that I love hearing is I'm, I love Microsoft Excel. I love Excel. I'm so, I like Excel enough. I've watched a couple of documentaries of it. That's <laughs> that's terrible, isn't it? Did you know that on Twitch they have a gaming? I don't know if you know, game, well, like you ever watch gaming channels, but they have excel competitions where there there's excel people fighting against each other to build automations and fix spreadsheets quicker wow no that's oh, like, this is the nerdiest thing i've ever <laughs> seen in my life i'm like oh this is worse than like a coding competition because it's excel but i watched this one documentary it had bill gates in it and it had his first customer i don't know it had the it had it was the first customer for um the original version of excel called VisiCalc. Bill Gates bought VisiCalc off a guy that made essentially the, the spreadsheet automation. And they interviewed Bill Gates, and he's like, oh, I screwed that guy that had VisiCalc. I screwed him six ways for Sunday. That, that's really what he's saying. I made billions off Excel. And they interviewed the guy with VisiCalc, and he said, I made hundreds of thousands of dollars off Bill Gates. Changed my life because I made this one computer program mm. and I sold it to him and I, we made all this money. And then they found the first cu- guy that bought it. He said, I screwed both those guys over. I screwed Bill Gates over. I screwed the VisiCalc guy because I was at a, some um, a f- open public forum in Silicon Valley back in the 70s. And this guy that wrote VisiCalc was there and he was showing me how... You could do spreadsheets, and this guy was an account, a CPA, and he looked at him. He said, "Can that thing be hooked to a printer?" Yeah, no, we, can, we can do a printer for it. And he said, "I'll buy it right now." And the guy said, "What do you mean? It's not for sale?" And he said, "How much is it to buy that computer with a printer and your software?" And the guy said, "I don't even know." He said, "It's not for sale." He said, 
give you $5,000 cash right now. And the guy said, bring your car. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wow. And they, they, and they, they talked to the Visicalc guy, the Visicalc XL. And he said, that guy was an idiot. He paid me $5,000 for a $500 computer, $200 printer, and a program we ultimately sold for 50 bucks. And they go to the CPA and said, I was the first guy in Silicon Valley to have a computer with automated spreadsheets. And he said, I went on in on Monday and I typed in my command, my commands for that week. And we automated the entirety of my CPA company. Wow. I can't remember how many years he went. He didn't work. He would go in on Monday for 15 minutes, type in a command prompt, and then he would leave and he would go golfing and he didn't work anymore because of that one automation. Cause they had the foresight to say, I can automate my spreadsheets. And, and had $5,000 cash in his pocket. And it's like, yeah, he was the first. You know, it's great. He solved a problem that he had, which I think is a great way to, that's the way I'm looking yeah. at AI this yeah. year is. It, you can, if you can figure out, solve your problems or somebody else's problem, that's the, really. You know, I, I talk to these people, like, oh, you're so money. You know, all your content has money and quarters and dollars and stuff. I said, you know, it's kind of weird for a guy that really immediately admits that money doesn't exist. What do you mean? Like, it's just of a dead president on a dollar bill it's not the money it's the value all everything is finding a way to provide other people value that's that's all it is whether you're selling your time to a w2 employer like a walmart or, or mcdonald's you're giving them value they're giving you value back in the terms of uh cotton and paper notes with pictures of dead presidents on them you're exchanging value all the money out there is in exchanging value with other people and if you can find a way to build value to other people, you'll get whatever you're worth. And going back to my example of uh, um, building tables in, in West Palm Beach, you know, if there's a value for a $20,000 table, if you build that value, the value is there. If you can go in to your local laundromat guy and explain to them, you have a problem with your bad Google reviews, let me let me automate your responses to fix them. Let me help you automate this. There's going to be tons of money in that. You know, during coronavirus, we saw, I saw a lot of people build businesses on installing plexiglass sneeze guards at businesses. I ran into a guy within the first month or two on TikTok. He built a million dollar business in New York City building plastic sneeze guards from plexiglass. He bought every piece of plexiglass that he could find like in, Man in the Manhattan area so he could build um, those little, they're glorified sneeze guard things between people and their customers, but millions of dollars because he got in there quick and he just said, there's a problem that needs to be solved due to the pandemic. And, you know, it, it's, we talk about automation, we talk about AI, we talk about these things, but the root of it all is becoming a problem solver. If you can find how to solve other people's problems and, and find a way to get compensated, that's all you have to do. Well, I want to personally challenge everyone watching, listening, everyone out there in the world. This is the time to solve problems. Brandon's solving problems. I'm solving problems. You can definitely get it all at Investment Joy on the YouTube. Brandon, where else can we find you? Um, I'm on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, everything but Snapchat under Investment Joy. Investment I wish I could Joy. tell you what to do. I've got multiple shows on Tik on Snapchat, but they're under other brand names. So if you see a guy with a lot of rent cores on Snapchat, that's me too. Making moves, automating, chatting, AIing. Yep. It's a great time to be involved in this level of technology, but the only th 
the only word of caution is don't don't delay. Get into it now. Yeah. And you know, you'll probably fail at your first project. It's okay. <laughs> Just keep doing it. And if you keep keep sticking on with it and you keep keep working at it and trying to get a little bit better, it'll be yours. You'll do fine. Along that note, I produced eight hundred YouTube videos before YouTube started sending my money. Eight hundred. Eight hundred. Eight hundred videos to hit my first million views to start getting paid by YouTube. So it ta- it takes a it takes a hot minute. It, it, it takes, takes time. It takes effort. I like going back to my YouTube story. I bought a stupid freaking train station and we refurbished it and I did a YouTube series on it. No one watched it. No one cared. And it's like I you know at that point I felt like a huge failure. Here's this great project. Who wouldn't want to see a train station renovated? Well, I tell you who people that don't understand that your sucky thumbnail, your bad title, and your terrible <laughs> video, no one wanted to watch, and they didn't. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to put in some effort. Execution. You've support. got, you've got to, you've got, you've got to. Number one, you have to do it. Whatever it is, you have to just start trying it, and you have to resolve yourself to get better. And you can only get better through some level of consistency and putting the effort forward. If you do that, that is it. I wish, I, I, I say this as one of my big ideas, I wish I could buy stock in people. Like not in, not, not in their company. I want to buy stock in people. Because mm. I see people like in the social media world and it's like, this person will be famous. And I've done it with a lot of people on TikTok and a lot of people on YouTube. This person will be a star. This will be their full-time job in one year. Maybe that's a new business. <laughs> Maybe. It well, I don't know be. if that's legal or not. <laughs> I, there's got to be a way to do it. Um, but I, I, I've had, I've seen it with so many people and I'm very rarely wrong. And it's like, I was thinking about that on the way over. What would it like? Cause I get people all the time messaging me wanting to be famous. I, I was, I was, I was walking around the subdivision where Airbnb is. And I ran into an 82 year old lady that was an actress back in the sixties. I'm like, of course I'm in Florida where all the retirees are. And I like, I just want to hear some of these people's life stories. She was an actress in the sixties and she was telling me about um, her grandson who wants to be a musician. I was like, Oh, good luck, buddy. It's, you know, I'm like, I had this conversation with her and she's like, I know it's, it's really hard to make money in music. And I'm like, it is because everybody in music doesn't do business because they don't understand the fundamental building blocks of what it takes to build a career and make money in something. If you want to do it as a passion project, great. No one might hear you, and you could be ultra talented. I know people who are ultra talented in the music world. No one, no one knows who they are. And I was having this conversation, great conversation with her. And um, you know, I, I was talking about just do the building blocks because if we go back to my wanting to buy stock on people, I, there are these musicians that I run into on TikTok with like five thousand followers. I'm like, this person's going to be famous within one year. This person is a star. And it's like, and it's not because their music's better. It's not because they're more talented. It's because they're consistent. And every video is getting better. They're, they're, they're seeing what works, and they're doing more of it. And they're test trying new things. They're, they're, they're trying to. It's like you. Um, you started off doing videos about VAs, and you didn't want to be that person doing only VA. Now you're trying AI, and it's working great for you. And then there's potential for you to go out and do other things. And if you remain consistent and you iterate to get a little better over time, you'll be fine. Because I run into so many people that want to pay me even some of them big bucks. Help me, help me do, help me be a star on YouTube or TikTok. That's fine. 
how many hours do you have a week to dedicate towards? Why don't I have hardly any time? Sorry. Why? But I think that's a problem too. I think people kind of get trapped into, well, I was at a conference uh, recently and one of the questions that was asked in the conference is, you know, think about what your greatest opportunities and your greatest leaks are. Leaks meaning where am I coming up short? And I was talking to a guy afterward. I was like, well, I think one of my leaks is I need to, you know, use more automation or I need to hire more and, you know, I, I need a clear vision of where I want to be spending my time. In his, I was like, "What's your leak?" He's like, "Well, I'm not famous. I just need to be famous." Yeah. And I, I think that that gives you. We talk go, bringing back to the beginning with incentive structures. Mm-hmm. If your incentive is to get famous, I think it leads to bad decision making, oh, terrible decision making, and, and complete disappointment. Mm-hmm. Because you know, comparison is the thief of joy. If you're like, "If only I was famous. If only I was famous," yeah. I, I don't think it works that way. It know? doesn't. It doesn't. And I run into so many people, and I'm like, "You." Even if you do achieve what you want, your heart's going to be broken. Yeah. It's going to destroy you. Because you've got to love the process. You've got to, you've got to find, you've got to find joy in whatever you do. And it's like, if you would have asked me as an 18 year old young adult, would, will you be passionate about real estate in the future? I would have said, there's no way I'll be passionate about real estate. I, I've still, I've been in real estate since 06. I am still passionate about real estate because I found, I started finding joy in whatever it is I did. I started finding joy in talking to drug addicted tenants and people at my laundromat. I found joy in dealing with leaky roofs. I found joy in just whatever the process is because if you can find some joy and say, I want to, I want to have some joy. I want to be passionate about this because it's worth doing. You've got to find some level of reason. But if you find that level of reason and you build some joy up, you build some passion up, I don't care if you are working at McDonald's and you can build some joy and some passion and want, and, and that passion and joy is going, will, by nature, I think, force you to become better at whatever it is you do. Um, it's like you'll, you'll do great. But if you can't have any joy and you can't have passion, whatever you do, I don't care whether you're famous. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember who was, it was Hulk Hogan. There we go. He was on Joe Rogan recently. And he was talking about his religious conversion. And Joe said, I, I'm surprised that you're having a religious experience. And he said, well, I've tried everything out in life, and I found that it didn't really make me happy. I've had everything. And now I'm finally finding peace in religion. And I, you know, I don't want to harp on that too much. Would love to. But I find that that mindset is what kills so many people's life because they think that they're going to find all the joy in a thing. Fame, money, people find that joy and passion. They feel think they'll find that joy in a person, in another human being. Women, yeah. Women, drugs. Um, they think they'll find it. I've run to people that have kids. And they think if I could just have some kids, I just had a kid. It would and if, and people if I I could just I, uh, you know they they think that their joy is going to be found in something. It's, it's not found in something. Like, well, like it's not in, that in pursuit. I, I I was at church this last weekend, and our pastor said something that that really struck. I shared this with you before, and that if you if you fail to find purpose, you'll settle for pleasure. And that's what I hear from all these things. If I just have money, pleasure. If I just have women, pleasure. If I just have kids, 
pleasure. If I can just have the big house, pleasure. You, you, you're, you're missing that ultimate purpose. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's one of those things where it's just like, and I run into the people, like if I was just famous, I'm like, you don't need to be famous to do this. No. Now I, you know, what, what's made me semi-famous or demi-famous or people known, whatever you want to call having a bunch of subscribers is it's like, that was never the goal. The goal was to get a message out there, help people document what I found super interesting and get better in the process. And that's led me to millions of subscribers. And it's just, you know, it'll continue to grow. I do believe unless something changes inside me to not want to do anymore. But it's like, if you just find joy in what you're doing and decide to grow, I think that joy and passion will ultimately produce that result in you. It just, it becomes its own thing. And then, then that doing that thing, it's a lot easier. I'm not so. I'm not going to ever tell anybody it doesn't require any sacrifice. All the good stuff in life requires some level of sacrifice. But then what happens is the sacrifice becomes easier, and you get you, you get, it becomes easier. Um, nothing nothing worthwhile in life, I think, is like easy. Easy, because then it's just cheap. Then it's just cheap. Yeah. Find your joy, ladies and gentlemen. We're here with Brandon Schlichter. He's found his investment joy. Go find your joy. Thanks, guys. <laughs>